Uh, one ticket for And Why Not, please. series of And Why Not, the movie podcast and the nerds who haunt themselves. Uh, it's been a little while since we've done one of these, but we're back for a new series and we're kicking things off with a special mini-series looking at six comic book movies from the 90s. Um, the 90s was sort of a golden period for comic book movies with them trying lots of different things. So uh, every Tuesday, including this one, for the next six weeks, uh, we'll be bringing you a different uh, guest to discuss a different comic book movie. Uh, coming up, we've got Dick Tracy, The Phantom, The Rocketeer, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Crow. Uh, But to kick things off, I'm joined by the Penguin creator, the mighty Alan Henderson, to discuss the 1994 film version of The Shadow. Uh, I had a blast talking about the movie with uh, Alan uh, and The Shadow in general. Uh, He's a big fan of the character of The Shadow. Not so much the film, but that will come across in the episode. Um, But yeah, hopefully that makes for a good discussion about the film itself and its representation of years of shadow mythology uh yeah uh, i hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy talking about the character and the film and uh yeah without any more rambling from me let's roll the episode he was consumed by evil for as long as you can remember you've struggled against your own black heart shoot through him every man pays a price for redemption i'm not looking for redemption you have no choice, but I'll teach you to use your black shadow to fight evil. He became the shadow. If I didn't see anything, I swear. Dump him. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Who's there? Did you think you'd get away with it? Did you think I wouldn't know? Ah! Oh! When the world is in danger. Report. Police investigation of murder. Agent advises inquiry. Who knows what powers stir in the night? Whenever you did, it's in the past. Join me. Inside you beats a heart of darkness. I do what I do to fight back the evil inside me, but some part of it is still there, waiting. Genghis Khan conquered half of the world in his lifetime. I intend to finish the job. And when the adventure begins... Activate the bomb. Who knows where it will end? Alec Baldwin, John Lone, Penelope Ann Miller, and Tim Curry. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow. Hello and welcome to And Why Not with me, Stuart Moraine. Um, and for this special episode, I'm joined by Alan Henderson. Hello. Who I have uh, made to... Well, I didn't make. Um, implies a uh, torturous kind of thing. You, you had some free will in it. But, uh, to a degree, you, yes. We, we will be talking about the 1994... Uh, Russell Mulcahy. Do you say Mulcahy? Is it Mulcahy? Because yeah. I heard it pronounced differently the other day, and now I'm doubting myself. I would stick with Mulcahy. This yeah. right. 
Yeah, Russell Mulcahy, 1994, The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin, John Lone, and Penelope Ann Miller, among others, who we'll probably touch upon later. Um, mm-hmm. Written by David Cook, based on characters created by Walter B. Gibson, and I've forgotten, the, I didn't write down the names of the people who did the original radio show. Well, Walter Gibson started all that off, and obviously you've got, yeah. there's about five or six different people who have played The Shadow on the radio, um, obviously the, the most famous of which being Orson Welles. Yes. Um, yep, so it was released in 1994, 1st of July in America, 18th of November over here, grossed 48 million plus worldwide on an estimated budget of 25 million, so it turned a profit. Um, was discussed on episode 141 of How to Disc It Made, and Roger Ebert, the American film critic, gave the film three stars out of four, saying, The Shadow is the kind of film movie that plays better the more, uh, the more baggage you bring to it. If you respond to film noir, uh, if you like dark streets with, and women with scarlet lips and big fast cars with running boards, uh, the look of this movie will uh, work some kind of magic, which I'm not sure if it's a clever reference to Highlander or not. What would it be in a Russell Mulcahy film? Mm, yeah, I suppose it would be, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the basic thing. I had the misfortune of coming out between Forrest Gump and The Lion King, I think, so it, it largely suffered for those. I think it only ever peaked at number two in the American box office. I'm not sure how well it did over here in the end. Um, that but that yeah. might be one of the reasons why it didn't peak so well, but there might be others. But maybe that's just me. I'm giving yeah. my position away far too early there, sorry. So, before we sort of get into the film for you, you're a fan of the character of The Shadow, aren't you? Is Yeah. Was that from the comics or the novels or the radio plays? Or sort of how do you see The Shadow as a... Okay. He's sort of got a muddled history of various things that make up the character, hasn't he? Yeah, so my my history of The Shadow, if you will, is that I got back into comics, as 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 everyone does, they're, they're in comics, they go away and they come back again. I got back into comics about 1988, there or thereabouts, um, just before Bat Fever kicked off big time. And in 1989, The Shadow Strikes series came out from, from DC Comics. Now... At that point in time, because I was just back into comics, anything that was a number one, I sort of look at as to whether it was something I'd be interested in or not. So I, I picked up the Shadow Strikes number one um, and realised that it was a character that uh, you know really really worked for me, set in the nineteen thirties, which is a style and period that I really like. Um, and it's a uh, you know he's at, at that point I didn't really know much about the character, but just saw as well this is sort of a you know a Batman esque thing set in the nineteen thirties. I really really like that. And that just led me to start to, to, to build up a, you know, an affiliation with the character over time. As that series grew, I also dipped back into some of the earlier work, um, that mainly with the comics, um, and, you know, and built up a, a shadow collection through that. I then also started to reach out and speak to a number of, of comic artists over time and had the, the fortune of engaging in, in email conversations with, with Mike Kaluta for a long period of time. Um, which led to me meeting up with him in New York at, at one point um, and, and getting a commission from him and all that sort of really nice nice things. And I, I just slowly built up this huge collection of, of shadow drawings. Um, that also means that as and when other things have come out and been associated with the shadow, I've just, just got involved with them. And, and, and whether that's been the reprints, the, the actual pulps that they um, have basically come out over the last decade and have recently just stopped um, through through Sanctum Books, 
or it's been you know collecting the the paperbacks that came out in the the late seventies that have all got Jim Steranko covers and you know and, and really loving that sort of throwaway feel that those books have, but still having that that sort of um, pulpy covers that that you know you really sort of drag you in with, the, with you know for everything from those, that that paperback period has really got some some wonderful art involved in it, and all of that's what what what, what pulled me through it. Now. In the middle of all of that, we had 1994, and, and the movie came out. It's, it's, so that, that's that's kind of how I came to the character and, and, and bought into him. Um, I also love the fact that the character is so heavily involved with having a band of uh, of agents that go with them, all of whom have different purposes and, and different roles to play, and, and, and that, that brings strengths and weaknesses to that. Now, that's whether it's you know it's the the strong female character that, that that normally is you know portrayed as Margot Lane, or it's the the you know the the guy that's great for doing all the communications in, in terms of Burbank and you know holding everything together and that all and all of those different roles and pieces. I actually again that that really spoke to me in terms of saying yeah I like this because this means you've got this the central hub of the character of the shadow character connected to all these other characters each of whom could have their own stories and go in their own ways but they all need to interact with each other and it, it creates this universe whereby the all these as I say, agents can can merge together to face into whatever evil of the week is in terms of the the the, the, the approach that the, the stories are done in um and also the stories because they kind of fall a bit towards the comic side they generally fall that pulp ethic of going you know it's short sharp one done and you don't you know and it's it's you're you're in you're out which again when i was reading comics at that point in time was something i really liked like i say my knowledge is largely of the film i've read some shadow comics but certainly not to any depth that you've gone to which is another reason why i thought you'd be great for this (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i sort of like i say i discovered i actually had a poster for the film on my wall before I'd even knew what the shadow was. I just loved the poster. Um, I think it was back in the days when the cinemas used to put the leftover mini quads yeah. out and you could just take them. So I picked that one up. Um, it's got a lovely poster. Um, is it Drew Struzan or is it the is it John? I um, which one did it now. I think it's... Oh, that, the, the poster, I don't I mean, in terms of the, 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 the eyes design, that, that's Mike Kaluta. That actually did that. He wouldn't have done the actual, but if it's one of the full body posters, I'm afraid I don't know who did it. No, it's usually a, either Drew Struzan or a, yeah. um, John Alvin, isn't it? They were the two big painted poster guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so I had that and then I think I caught it on Sky Movies when it premiered on that mm-hmm. and really enjoyed it and then sort of forgot about it and then I developed a weird sort of crush on, well, not a weird crush, I developed a crush on Penelope Ann Miller, so went back and watched it again. And, uh, yeah, I've sort of loved it since then. But I, I recognise it's not a perfect film, but <laughs> we we can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's got stuff going on. I mean, they tried to make a Shadow movie. Sam Raimi had wanted to make one for years, but couldn't get the rights. Yeah. And that's why he did Dark Man. So, um, so there are shadow. There was a shadow. You know, there are shadow movies from the 1940s. Yeah, like, let's let's be honest with that. So, you know, there's a serial wasn't there all the way back then. There's the serial that, that that comes with that. So, and, you know, and, and there is um, 
it was a very short-lived television pilot, if I remember correctly, as well, that was from the, in, that was done in the States, but never really took off. But when they got around to doing The Shadow in 94, I think the, the interesting challenge that it faced was why was it being made at that point? And it was primarily being made because in 1989, Batman had come out and suddenly this was the, you know, comics were the big thing of the time. And, and that's, you know, why you're doing these series of podcasts, I guess, because the 90s yeah. had lots of big comic book type movies made. And therefore, if you're going to make a movie in that genre, you've then got to make some decisions as to what that movie is. Is it the dark and gritty movie? Or is it the light comedic movie? Is it the detective storyline movie? Is it, you know, and my, I think the problem I have a lot of the time with the shadow movie in terms of where it lands is it never really decides what it wants to be in terms of that, that, that mix. Because there are, there are scenes within it that are really, really good and actually very fitting in terms of the, the character. But in terms of the underlying storyline, that's where I think I have the biggest weakness with it. Yeah, um, I made a note when I rewatched it yesterday that there are some weird tonal shifts in it, like the sailor that um, he makes jump off the Empire State Building. Mm. He falls and you get the impact and then you get it cuts. You see that from a distance as you've got Lamont Cranston talking to Margaret Lane saying it's all fallen into place. It's like, that's yeah. a really because I mean, admittedly, that sailor was a bit of a dick, but he didn't serve that. <laughs> no. Because that's a quite uncomfortable thing. That'd be better. That plays better when it's like Peter Ball with the um, Peter Boyle with the I sense someone's coming just as the guy hits the ground. Yeah, oh, wow. um, and sort of doesn't work as well when it's an innocent it, guy. Yeah, or and even the scene where they're chasing again, spoilers for anyone that's not seen a movie from nineteen. Yeah, but that'll be a spoiler warning. <laughs> when when they're, when they're chasing the bomb around the hotel as it rolls along the carpet. Where you're like, well, what's this supposed to be? It's sort of like a comedic version of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Where you're like going, but this is, a, you know, that, that's your big MacGuffin is the fact that you've got the big bomb. And now you're just making fun of it about the fact that it's rolling around the carpet. Uh, you know, and that, that's where you kind of go, what, what are you trying to achieve here? Is it trying to be funny? Or, you know, and the weird dichotomy is the start of the movie is exceptionally dark. Yeah. Um, I would argue that doesn't really, Tie so in terms of the what you know, how, how do you, you place the 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 or, secret origin of the shadow if you like it, it is fair enough to say that you could have there was a pilot who went to World War One uh, an American pilot um, went for for the Allied forces and came back to America essentially the long way round if you like and and lent the the mystic arts of the east and and came up through central america and, and learnt the, the mystic arts of the the indians down there and all that stuff that's kind of the secret aura of it in the shadow and that's kind of what they try to put into play with the movie but they then twist it by saying oh no he was a really dark opium, opium lord and you know that that to me you start going well no you didn't need that level of it you could could literally do that whole piece about going you know he, he learned the dark arts of of the the eastern and, and central America style thing, and just kind of left it there. You didn't need to do this additional darkness at the beginning, um, which, yeah. which is just odd. There was a, on the documentary on the Blu-ray, um, the writer David Cup says that um, his idea was it sprang from the who knows the evil that lurks in the hearts of men, and he was like, for the shadow to know that he'd have to have been evil. And part of me wanted. 
So I can kind of see where he's going with that. I'm not sure. Part of me wonders whether it was also trying to differentiate a bit from Batman. But it it feels a bit clumsy how it's done. It, it does. And the weird thing now is it, the scene that actually looks very similar to um, some of the scenes from um, Batman Begins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone full circle in terms of that because it, you know the, the scenes about him ending up at the um, you know the, the, the temple with the the master to teach him is basically the Rachel Ghoul piece from um, yeah. from Batman Begins. Uh, so it and this is where it, as I say it's it's just odd to me how how it's kind of thrown together in terms of the bits that that come into the to the actual Shadow movie here. Um, I also think it's it's an interesting one where. It steals so many little things from other movies as well that that mean that you're left going where where does it have its identity? So I've, I've talked about the the ball being rolling around over the ball, large ball rolling around the carpet, chasing people and you know them getting away. That that's from Raiders. There's a scene where the floor is tipping all over the place um as the as the shadow standing on it and Shishwan Khan's trying to, to, to get him to fall over. That that's taken entirely from Flash Gordon, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um the whole the the look of it a lot of the time with the backdrop that they do for the for the cityscape, that that just looks exactly like Dick Tracy. <laughs> and if I play you the soundtrack and, and didn't tell you what it was from you would immediately go, oh, I wonder which Batman movie that's from. I wonder if that's from Batman and Robin, or is that a piece of music from from Batman the Animated Series? It, you know, because the the, the soundtrack that, that, Gary, that um, Jerry Goldsmith put together is is identical <laughs> to the Batman soundtrack in many ways. Um, the exception of these couple of the actual songs, uh, I think one of them was um, Jim Steinman. Um, but, you know, so th- there's all these bits where you're like going, there's no... Um, there's no USP here. There's, you know, what, what is the unique point about this Shadow movie? And that's why I start to, as I say, I really start to, to fall away from it because I don't know what I'm buying into. I don't understand the theme that it's trying to, to set. And it, it's just generally, you know, it just doesn't land um, in, in terms of it. But um, as I say, there are scenes in it I do like. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, it's not, a, like I say, I... I enjoy it more than you. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, but no, it's not <laughs> the train wreck that sort of everybody led you to believe it was at the time. Um, so I've got a lot of time for sort of pulpy hero movies like that anyway. Um, hence a lot of the choices for this little series that we're doing. Yeah. But um, there, I mean, there are things with it. There's times when Alec Baldwin seems bored. In some of the delivery, I'm not sure if it's because they seem to be going to, for a play on the radio play at times, like the whole yeah. exchange about where did you get your tie from, or Brooks mm. Brothers or whatever it is, which one, the one on fifth, or whatever the dialogue is. That seems to be a play on the product placement from the radio plays and that sort of thing. 100%, yeah. I travelled to this country in Genghis Khan's holy crib to absorb his power in three days. The entire world would hear my roar. And willingly fall subject to the lost empire of Shan King. That is a lovely tie, by the way. May I ask where you acquire it? Brooks Brothers. Is that Midtown? 45th and Madison. You are a barbarian. 
Baldwin said he did it because he was a fan of um, David Kep as the writer, so wanted mm. to work on something with him. But yeah, there's just certain times where you just kind of like, just seem a little bit bored. It's like I'm not sure whether you're going for that hammy, pulpy style acting or you're just kind of like you were more enthusiastic at the beginning of the shoot and now you're just you're like yeah. shit. This isn't Batman, is it? I, I think it's also interesting that he doesn't he doesn't differentiate himself between him being Lamont Cranston or being the Shadow. Yeah. So it's not like. Um, Christian Bale putting on the heavy gravelly voice or the you know anything like that which, which means at times the the shadow voice if you like to me doesn't carry the right level of gravitas yeah and I actually don't mind a little bit of the Lamont Cranston humour there's one of the scenes where he or he and Margot Lane don't get me started on the fact that she's got powers that that shouldn't be right either but uh, you know there's, there's certain things you can kind of forgive like going oh make the make the commissioner your uncle Fine, okay, I can, you know, it, it's, it's a valid interpretation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the whole thing about the fact they both have dreams, and she, like, goes, oh, I, I dreamt I was on an island, and he goes, oh, I dreamt my face fell off. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, God, I dreamed. So did I. What did you dream? I was lying naked on the beach in the South Seas, and the tide was coming up over my toes. The sun was beating down. My skin was hot and cool at the same time. It was wonderful. What was yours? I dreamed I tore all the skin off my face and was somebody else underneath. You have problems. I'm aware of that. That's a funny line because he, he delivers it completely deadpan, you know, yeah. and, and and that and, and that bit of it, you can kind of go, yeah, you're supposed to be this this foppish character of going, well, you know, it, it's like equivalent of Bruce Wayne about town, you know, everyone should just expect you to be a bit bit silly, um, and but as. He then doesn't flip it at all when he when he becomes the shadow, which is weird because they put prosthetics on him. Which well, yeah, I actually don't think I'm not entirely convinced it's him. I said to you, and when I was texting mm. you, messaging you about the film, it's like it looks like sometimes they got either Stephen or Daniel to step or William to step in, just so <laughs> Alec could have the day off. It's like you wouldn't know which Baldwin it was. I, no, um, out of context, if you just use the eyes and the nose and sent that picture, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's Daniel yeah. Baldwin, isn't it? <laughs> But as I say, I, I don't understand why they bothered with the prosthetics. Um, you know what? It's, you're right. I'm, I'm going through this with a, you know, with a fine-tooth gum in some ways and going, here's a bit to pick at, here's a bit to pick at. And, and actually then set myself up to say, I'm just not going to enjoy this. Therefore, it doesn't matter how good it gets. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to have these issues with it. The opening sequence on, or when you first find, we, when we first meet the shadow on the bridge... <laughs> Christ, who's that? Who's there? <laughs> Show yourself, fella. You murdered a policeman, Duke. Who said that? Duke! Who said that? Shut up! The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. 
I don't like this. This stinks. Let's get the hell out of here. Shut your hole, Maxie. Did you think you'd get away with it? Come on, Duke. <laughs> Did you think I wouldn't know? You committed murder, Duke. Now you're going to confess to it. Hell, I will. You will, Duke. Because if you don't, I'll be there. I'll be there. Around every corner, in every empty room. As inevitable as your guilty conscience. You don't scare me! You son of a... St. House on 2nd Avenue and surrender yourself and you will do it now. I got this! I got this! I'll do it! I'll do it! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I'll confess! I got to get one That's really good. Right? Yeah. And, but again, that's... Um, you know, it's straight out of another movie as well. It has that feel about it. Um, that, and it's a scene that's very, very reverential to one of the very early scenes in one of the first books, um, where it's actually Harry Vincent that's about to commit suicide jumping off a bridge. Um, but again, there's bits in there where the, the comedic tone doesn't quite work, where, you know, when they, when they pull the guy out of the car and he's got the concrete boots on, it's done in a very fu- sort of funny. That's to me is very Dick Tracy look about it. That, yeah. You know, and you're like going, no, this is supposed to be a you know, these are the, you, you want the gangsters to look like gangsters to to feel like the the mob, um, and but again the appearance of the shadow there, love it. You know the way he stands at the end of the bridge and the light behind him and all that sort of stuff. That looks really good. And there are times I've said in the past that if you you know if you actually just stop listening to the dialogue. Turn off the sound. Keep soundtrack running if you like. So turn t- turn off the dialogue and just look at the movie. It looks great, you know. And I because I love the taxis. I love the yeah. the look and feel of the the skyline. I love the you know the, the, the they keep it all proper. It has a proper sort of newspaper photographic feel about it in that there's something not quite right with the background so the way they, they present them and all that sort of stuff but it which makes it feel proper 1930s feel about it yeah um and all of that you know so it looks really really good it's just the storyline's a bit meh um and we haven't even mentioned the knife oh that knife it's sort of in that weird period between Batman Returns and Batman Forever as well, where people weren't really sure tonally where to go with comic book movies. Mm. I think I think it possibly looked at Batman Returns or how it, as much as I like that film, how much it underperformed compared to the 1989 Batman. Yeah. And possibly thought we need to shift tones a little bit, maybe go a bit more Dick Tracy, but possibly lighter than that as well. Mm. Because again, as much as I like Dick Tracy, and I think Dick Tracy did well money-wise. I don't think it was the uh, hit everybody thought it'd be. But I mean, that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think sort of things like that sort of affected the shadow a little bit. Um, I wonder whether Alec Baldwin did it as well because he missed out on playing Batman. Whether he saw this as his redemption chance. Uh, possibly. I mean, I think he. he he got his his time later, if you like, with yeah. um, 
with Jack Ryan. The and then being that sort of character to it. Yeah, as I say, I, I, there, as I say, there are great bits in it, and there are bits where I just say, hmm, I'm not, not sure where, where it lands. In terms of the characterization of some of the other people that are in it, uh, as I say, the, the Margot Lane piece, I actually think um, Penelope plays it really, really well. The only issue I have is the fact that they give her powers. She doesn't need that. You know, if you read her in the books, and if you read her in the comics, whatever, she's a strong female lead. You know, strong, independent 1930s woman. Yeah. And, and that, that's supposed to, you know, she, it's that whole, she shouldn't be the damsel in distress. You know, she's the, the one with the shadow, she can go places the shadow can't and the Laurent Cranston can't. And that's why she's a, an important agent within the, the mix. Um, and by, by kind of making her a little bit of a damsel in distress and all, you know, saying, well, we'll give her powers to kind of offset that. It's a little bit short selling the character, I think. Yeah. But I mean, she looks stunning in it. <laughs> so you know, it's, it's, I, I, I can see why you are. Um, we're, we're, we're smitten. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, and then we have to discuss Tim Curry at some point as well. Right? Well, I was going to say about Tim Curry because it's weird, considering that he was it. That certainly for my generation was one of the most terrifying things. You actually watch it as an adult, and you're like, "This is ridiculous. He's wonderful in it." But this is ridiculous. Mm. He's hilarious. He's brilliant. But um, he seemed to sort of carve himself out a nice little niche as the snivelling bad guy. <laughs> With Who, that and but, Congo and... Yeah. But he also plays things entirely over the top and everything. Yeah. You know, and, and, and sometimes that's brilliant. You know, that's brilliant in Homeland 2. It's brilliant in, in Rocky Horror. And I actually love Clue. As a movie, I think that's, yeah, I you know, and he, I think he's brilliant in that because he's got this energy and 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 he goes through it. But again, I don't think it works for the tone of this movie. <laughs> or it's it's yet another sort of weird strand that that goes off. Um, he's sort of a nothing character, isn't he? He sort of well, yeah. There, then he disappears, and then he's there again, but not for anything of any real consequence. But he actually takes the shadow down. Yeah. Where you're like going for a nothing character? How did you manage to achieve that? Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and is that you know that, that doesn't feel right. Um, and and I'm you know somebody needs to you know E. McClellan, amazing actor that he is, clearly got this as a cheap paycheck because he does not act in this movie. <laughs> no, I think it's one of his earlier film roles, isn't it? From what I've read, um, right? I think he did it because he wanted to. Work, uh, Tim Curry did it because he wanted to work with Ian McKellen. Right. I think Ian McKellen did it just because I think he liked the idea of that noir sort of thing, and I think it just seemed like a bit of fun, which is fair enough. Yeah. But you say he's not well, he, a massive he, he part in it, so yeah, he's got a fairly easy role. And he plays it very comedic, which, again, doesn't quite fit. You know, this whole thing about him being colourblind and therefore not knowing what wire to cut and things like that, where you're just like going, Really? I'm just not sure if that, and again, it's just my whole thing about saying, you know, if if you, to me, the shadow should be quite a dark character, quite a noir thing. You expect there to be, um, blood and judgment that comes with it. Of a, you know, a detective story worked through and, and then resolved, and and then the you know judgment and then potentially the execution that comes with that, you know, in terms of that's what, but the way that the shadow should should work through this. You know, and in terms of the way he treats Sherman Khan at the end of the movie, that is 
you know, that's what I would expect from, from the shadow. Um, well, the rest of it just, as I, I, I struggle with some, some of the pieces that come with it. Um, and that's, it, one of the characters I think they treat really well is Burbank. And which is the, the the guy that sits in the communication hub, yeah. and the having having all the pipes fly all actually that to me was a really nice touch in the odd way you know because you're like yeah pneumatic pipes of taking messages around the place that is a very 1930s feel about it so why why say it's not just inside a department store but actually say it's across the whole city and they all end up in this one place and he gathers all the the notes together and then the scene where he comes out of the the bunker that he's in to hand out all the the notes as he walks across the street and each yeah. time a bike passes him going in a different direction he passes it a note love that absolutely that's a wonderful scene of terms of going you know sharing the information out and contacting all the agents that that was a really nice um a nice thing yeah no i uh, like that that's the stuff that's all really captured my imagination as a kid as well not a kid i was a teen by that point but a kid compared to what i am now <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I loved all that stuff. I loved the stuff of the agents as well. Um, although I'm pretty sure if I came home with a big ruby red ring on my finger, my <laughs> wife would want to know where it came from and what was going on. Yeah. yeah. And would probably yeah. tell me I'm not wearing that. <laughs> and to, to be honest, that's, again, so that's not what I would call canon in, in terms of the, the big piece. The, the fact that the, the shadow wears a big ring which is supposed to be the, the, the Gerasol, which actually is used as part of his means of um, hypnotising people. That is, is, is the canon piece. Clearly they've gone, well, how do we how do we get that shoehorned into the movie? Well, we'll do it so that everybody gets one. That way we don't really need to talk about it. Oh, and by the way, it's a gimmick that we can sell after the movie as well. Yeah, I suppose it's like Dick Trace's watch, isn't it? It's a... Well, you can yeah. make a cheap toy of it kind of thing. Yeah. But um, of, uh, I suppose yeah, it's a visual shorthand as well. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's one of the, one of those things that everyone knew. Or, you know, if you're if you're into the channel, one of the things is, oh, he has he has a ring. And you know, they did the, the paraphernalia that came. They clearly thought this movie was going to be a lot bigger than it was yeah. because the the backing that they put into all the paraphernalia that went after it, the toys that they created. It's an amazing toy set that you know that, that's out there. Um, they, they, you know, they did rings that you could get. I think I've got about eight of them. Um, <laughs> in terms of different designs. You just hand them out at cons every time you save someone's life. <laughs> no, they're all different designs, and it's taken a long time to get all eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and there was a trading card set, and there was novelizations, and there were, you know, and clearly they thought that this was going, you know, ah, this is going to be the start of something, and. It just wasn't because I don't think it quite quite got there. Yeah, like you said, I don't think it knows what it wants to be. I think it was the victim of timing in America as well. Like I say, with coming out between the Lion King and Forrest Gump, mm. I think that sort of. Um, but it's trying to... Do you know why it was rated when it went to the cinema? Uh, I think it was PG thirteen or whatever the equivalent would be. Yeah. Um, we yeah, would have okay. had it. As, I think we had it as a twelve A. Twelve. It's certainly twelve now on Blu-ray. But mm. it might be PC actually. I'm not convinced about that purely because of the, the. So there's a there's a knife in the movie that comes to life. Now, having seen a lot of um, Ray Harryhausen stuff recently, it's not quite as good as the Ray Harryhausen, but it looks no. like it's Ray Harryhausen the way that it's you know, the way it's animated, which. 
again, it's one of the things that dates it. But it's, it, and well, it's weird because it doesn't date it old enough to be Ray Harryhausen, but nor is it, you know, moved on enough to be the, you know, a proper animated um, element. It, it, it just makes it it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. But it's quite, it, it's quite scary and devilish, I think, for kids. Um, the way it kind of sort of comes to life, um, and the face sort of bites his hand and stuff. Um, so I'd be surprised if it was as you know down as a, a PG. But. Yeah, like I say, I'm not 100 sure. I um, it probably was a 12A. It's surprisingly bloodless, apart from like when he gets his hand bitten and when he's cutting yeah. his throat at the end. This like when the Guards are killed. There's no blood pooling around them, or I suppose you're right. You know, it could be a few because it's bloodless. There's no no curse words, and there's there's not not a sex scene or anything like that. So it's um, yeah, who knows? As I say, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of mix. Um, other things I'd noted that I would ask you about in terms of how you saw it. So they go into that hotel yeah. at the end, right? The hidden hotel. At the end. What? Why would a hotel? Have so many mirrors in the one room because uh, I, I don't I, I, the, the 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 mirror scene at the end, which I know has a, an interesting you know why, why would a hotel have a, f- a floor that that moved about all over the place like it does? It's it, it, it's it's just one of those weird things where they're going to go oh we've we've created a reason that we've got this this building that's been hidden that's his base of operations, um but then that base of operations has all these things in it that you're like going. They, they shouldn't be there. Why is that there? Um, yeah, because I imagine it'd be difficult getting contractors in. It's like, yeah, we're here. It's like, but there's nothing there. It's like, mm. just, just turn up with your mirrors. Um, that yeah. mirror scene was meant to be longer, wasn't it? It's yeah. It's there was an earthquake that took out the set. <laughs> Shut up the mirrors already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually don't mind it as a sequence, but again, was it done? In, it was done in a Bond movie before. Wasn't it? Yeah, it's um, Man with a Golden Gun. Exactly. So again, it's that, it's, um, is it Enter the Dragon or which Bruce Lee film is it with all the mirrors? Oh, you're right. You see, this is where because the whole way through this, there, there came a point when I was rewatching it, I was like going, right, so where's that scene from? And you actually start to overthink it <laughs> to see you've, <laughs> you've, you've taken this scene from somewhere else, haven't you? Um, but again, it's another scene where I'm like going, yeah, I like it as a scene, but I've, I've seen it elsewhere, which means you've not got this. <laughs> And it, it's weird when we talk about Batman in terms of the comic side of things, because obviously the shadow came first. So therefore, a lot of the things where we say, oh, Batman has copied the shadow in, in books, it's actually the other way around. Yeah, by Bob Kane's own admission, the shadow was a huge influence on. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's, and it's sometimes really very obvious. Yeah. So, but, you know, so maybe there was a tip of that going, well, if everybody's ripped the shadow off, it's time for the shadow to rip everybody else off. Um, that, that's, that's key from that. But, um, and, and what did you think about the fact that the MacGuffin was in 1930 an atomic bomb? <laughs> uh, I've got to be honest, I didn't really think about it. I was just, I mean, when I saw it as a teen, I'd not seen as many films. Sort of on the cusp of me becoming a major film fan. It had always been comics. Um, weirdly, though, no shadow ones. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, like I say, I, I didn't know the shadow was anything other than a film character. Because they kind of bury it in the film as well. You don't get the things that you get now of, written by David Kep, but based yeah. on characters created by. They sort mm. of bury all of that. Which again, which, again, is weird if you're going for a 
we're a comic book movie kind of thing. You think you play that as a badge of honor? I don't yeah. think it was. It was ever. I don't think they believed it to be a comic book movie. So I think they thought this was because in America, there's a lot of people that have a very strong affiliation to the radio show. Yeah, uh, and old time radio is a is a much bigger thing in America than it is over here. So to actually play it out as being the radio character um, is probably more where they were coming from it in that space. Um, despite the fact that they said they have Mike Kota as one of the major um, designers um, who, as I say, having, having been to his studio, he has one, he has one of the hats in his nice. studio that he was, he was given by the, um, by the wardrobe staff. Um, so that's, that's, that, that's a nice sort of touch. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, as I say, it's, it has all these little things in it that you start to, or I start to question it. <laughs> and because I start to question it, I find it, you know, it's one of these things that if it was an equivalent movie for a character that I had less affiliation with, you would go in, you'd, you'd, you'd park all your baggage at the door, you'd watch it and you'd go, you know what, it's a bit silly, it's a bit rubbish, but it's a perfectly good romp. Right, yeah. and I, th- I think my my problem is I'm carrying far too much baggage into it. And yeah, I mean that's always. The, I mean that was it's like me with any Superman movie. I'll always go in as a Superman fan rather than somebody just yeah. looking for a film to enjoy. Or any that's probably why I enjoy the Marvel films more than the DC films is because I'm less invested in those as a comic fan yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, I agree. I think. Like you say, without the baggage, it's a perfectly serviceable and enjoyable couple of hour romp. Like you say, it's silly and large parts of it make no sense. But on a pure enjoyment level, I think it it, it does its job. Like I say, I think it got unfairly kicked around as one of the box office flops. I think if you weren't Batman at that time, you pretty much were getting a kick in. So, yeah. with a couple of exceptions, um, like I say, even Dick Tracy was considered a flop for a long time, um, and The Rocketeer, which they sort of retroactively have got a lot more love for in these days. I think a lot of it comes down to what expectations were. You're, I mean, Dick Tracy's well, we're, we're sidetracking into another podcast, but the you know, I suppose the advantage the Shadow had over Dick Tracy is that you know, the, while Alex Baldwin was a relatively large star, yeah. he you know he was um, no Warren Beatty, um, and and nor was he Madonna. The the Rocketeer had the advantage of almost entirely the pun is mildly intended here flying under the radar. Yeah. Um, and you know because it wasn't really meant to be anything. Nobody really knew anything about the Rocketeer whatsoever. Um. And in many ways, it's a homage to King of the Rocket Men yeah. um, from the, the serial for that. So, you know, the, the the expectations associated to both those movies were, were, were vastly different at both ends of the scale. Um, as is, to me, the, the biggest problem Shadow has, and this is why I think it, people struggle to go back to it, is what are you going back for? Or, you know, because it has those multiple themes running through it and it doesn't quite settle on what sort of movie it actually is. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because I'm in a number of shadow groups on um, on Facebook and, and the like, and you know people come at the character from 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 different ways. And there are 
uh, there's a degree of snobbishness amongst some of the, the people in those groups that, you know, if somebody new joins and, and you know, the, their opening line is, oh, the sun is shining. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone kind of rolls their eyes and goes, yeah, OK, but, you know, that, that, that there's more to it than the, the ice being slippery. Um, and, you know, it, it's it, there is a thing about that, but going, well, that, you know, that's that it's a very small take on, on a character that has something like 300 stories, 300 books out there in, in terms of the, the actual pulps that were produced. Um, plus however many comic books there are, plus, you know, all the other uh, radio shows and all the other takes on it. That means that the, the movie is, is just one very small take on it. And it, it, it carried so much promise. It could have been something if they'd you know it, it, it's easy to say this in, in recent, you know, but if they'd settled on on, on one type of, of of genre with it and they'd said we're, we're going to make it very straight we're going to make it very dark very gritty very crime noir bump you know and it could have had you know and i think i don't really think the humor bit works with the shadow it works with dick tracy because dick tracy is supposed to be a comic in yeah. the in the Sunday funnies, while the shadow was always crime noir in terms of the pulps and the radio show that's there, therefore it's supposed to be the you know it's it's like um, I don't know it's it's like taking a Poirot book and making a film there that's exceptionally comedic, and you're like no it's supposed to be about the resolution of the crime, and it's the same with the shadow it should be about the resolution of the issue in hand. Um, and, and yes, have the, the the mix that, that comes to play with the Orient and then the, the whole 1930s feel to that. Um, but that, that's fair. What I will say as well, and this was entirely with 2021 eyes looking at it, um, there's quite a lot of whitewashing in this movie. Um, that when when you look at the the goons who aren't are surrounding the um, the, the Asian uh, baddie, and you're like going, yeah, you're um, you've just put the makeup on to be um, to, to look like you're from from the, the continent. That, that's that's not a good look. Um, so there's there's, no, there's probably Sean Connery even lived twice thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. There's there's some of that in there, and that that's not great in terms of how look or feel. But <laughs> that's that, that's very much a. A 2021 set of eyes looking at it and going, hmm. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. You, I liked John Lone. I'm not overly familiar with him from other things apart from the Last Emperor, but I liked John Lone as um, Shiwan Khan. I'm not sure how he played compared um, to the comic. Oh, no, see, books. That that I was fairly fine with because he is supposed to be, you know, the the evil mastermind. He is the Lex Luthor to to the Shadow. And therefore, you want him to be on an equal footing in terms of capabilities. So that that's entirely fine in, in terms of that piece. And it's—I'm saying he's like so he's probably more the Rachel Gu um, to, to Batman type of thing because it is that. Well, no, I want to rule the world, and that's you know, I'm, and it is that whole. If I've got the powers that you've got, but I'm going to use them this way rather than the way that you've chosen to use them. Um, so that you know that that I was fine with. He actually plays it quite well. And again, some of the the interaction between him and the Laurel Monk Cranston version of um, Alec Baldwin is, is is fine because it is that whole yes, we're just sparring here, but when this you know when 
when I'm the shadow, I'll spar with you with guns. But when I'm Lamont Cranston, I'll spar with you with words. And that's that. You know, that's a good interaction piece. So that that I like in, in terms of the the way that they approach that character. Yeah, um, like I say, I'm not familiar with him. I don't think he's done a huge amount else. I think he largely retired. I don't think he's got any recent sort of credits. Um, I must admit, I didn't do a deep dive on him. But there's a couple of times where I couldn't work out whether his facial hair was glued on or not. It was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it definitely was. It's um... weirdly distracting. Looked a bit like when um, a female character, like Lois Lane in um, New Adventures of Superman, when she used to go undercover with a beard stuck on. <laughs> <laughs> That sort so, of thing. Uh, yeah. but, he was but, what, he was in Rush Hour Two, apparently. There you go. Um, ah, that'll do it. <laughs> and, and a lot of yeah, a lot of other stuff that I've never heard of. Um, yeah, yeah doesn't seem to have been in anything since two thousand and seven. Um, but I thought he was. I thought he was a menacing for that rating of movie, and I thought they overplayed. I think. Him getting the guard to shoot himself in the head was enough. I don't think you needed the taxi driver driving into the blowing no. himself up kind of thing. Like we're just reiterating the same thing here. So like we and, get it, he's and, evil. And, and then the, doing it again the, with a sailor. The sailor, which really wasn't needed, no. Um, and that, yeah. For, yeah. For, for no apparent reason whatsoever. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> but no, it's just, he was a bad guy for a while, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and some of the fight scenes are a bit ropey in in terms of the the choreography and the like. I, I actually don't mind, or or again, it, they don't really find their balance as to, to what they're trying to achieve. the The whole thing about whether this whether you can see the shadow's shadow, that's that's an extension of that's where they're going. We're just trying to make a story out of this for the for the purposes of making the movie. That again, I, I wouldn't really say that was a, a canon element of the of the character. But the ability then to say, oh, if we shoot the shadow's shadow, we've shot the shadow. <laughs> Can I just point out that's not easy to say? Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, that, that sequence, in a, in, in one way, I'm like going, I actually quite like it. It's quite gimmicky. And, you know, the fact he then has to pull himself off the wall is, 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 is you know, is an interesting way of him appearing in, in, in the room. But, in another way, it, 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 again, it's like it's it's trying to make it too cartoonish in in terms of the the approach. Um, particularly as you know, through that you've got E. McKellen acting hypnotized and and, and struck dumb. Um, but uh, I, I've done this movie down enough. It's it's if if you haven't seen it, add it to the list of things to to, to go and watch. Um, but Go in knowing that it's 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 park you know park your brain at the door and then just enjoy it is probably the, the the way to go for it. Yeah. So did you go in slightly back to when you first saw it? Had there been any buzz? I know there wasn't an internet shadow community kind of thing, but had there been any buzz about it from a shadow fan's perspective, or did you go in as a shadow fan with high hopes? I would have gone in as a, a shadow fan. With a shadow fan, stroke Batman fan, going all right, and I know what you know. I know what a Batman movie is going to be, and I know whether you know I know where the shadow character is different than Batman in the books, and therefore that you know I expect to see 
from a comics perspective, you know, I, I knew the difference between a Shadow comic and a Batman comic, and therefore yeah. going in to see the movie, I expected to see the difference between the Shadow and, and Batman in terms of that. And, you know, would have been excited to see it going, oh, I'm big on the, you know, I like this character. Um, 94, 94 would, would be my last year at uni. In fact, November, did you say it came out? I would have just started work. Yeah. There you go. That really ages me. Um, <laughs> I would have, yeah, just started work. Um, so it would have been a case of, um, yeah, you know, I, I, had, I had high expect, not high expectations seems like I'm, I'm trying to build up too much. I, I would have been looking forward to see it because I yeah. liked the character and I would have been, you know, I would have enjoyed the Batman movies up to that point and going, right, I know what they are and they're one thing. And I would have enjoyed the other movies that are in your, your series to that, that they're going to talk about that would have been, you know, they, all of them would have set me with expectations as to where this would fit. Yeah. And again, you're then going, this doesn't quite fit where I expected it to be. Um, yeah. I don't remember there being much hype for it. Because, I mean, I was should have been in the wheelhouse for that being, what, 13, 14? Mm. So it should have, I should have been partially the target audience they were really going for. Yeah. Um, but I, like I say, I don't remember, I remember all the hype for Dick Tracy. I remember all the hype for Batman, even though I was too young for Batman at the time. Mm. Um, I even remember all the hype for the Rocketeer. This one just seemed to sort of quietly, like I say, I picked up a poster because I liked the poster. Yeah. Because I vaguely recognized Alec Baldwin from Hunt for Red October. <laughs> and, um, Sort of. I, I don't remember there being a huge hype. I will say this, the Shadow as well, as a character, isn't that well known on this side of the pond? Yeah. You know. Which is kind of would... keeping with the character. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Weirdly enough, people will, you know, if people will know things like, oh, the weeds of crime bear better fruit, you know, but they'll not necessarily know where that's come from. Or they'll know, you know, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Again, maybe that's... But that's probably they're picking that up from the fact that you know those are the sort of references that get made in The Simpsons, yeah. rather than it being oh I know who the shadow is, um, and you know that means that you know the the, the selling of the character is really difficult from that, and it's you know as, as far as we would be concerned, it would be no different than selling Darkman when it finally came out as the yeah. the shadow movie that never was. Um, where you're like going, oh, it's just another dark character, you know, it's just another character type thing. And so that, you know, the hype around it here would have just matched that sort of hype because you wouldn't have had the, oh, by the way, it has um, 60 years worth of history associated to, to radio plays that, that have been on constant repeat in the States for that period of time. Or it's, you know, I say these, you, you, there are versions of the 1970s um, paperbacks that are UK versions, but you know there aren't many of them. Um, so it, I think that that's part of that whole thing about saying how did the you know how was it promoted over here in terms of that. Um, while some of those other movies, The Rocketeer carried the, you know the, the Disney dollar, so it's got that as its, its way of helping sell itself. Dick Tracy is a little more known for being in the Sunday newspapers. Yeah, and, I think the yeah. beauty we had with Dick Tracy at my age was that Cartoon Network or whatever it was at the time was re-showing the 60s or 70s Dick Tracy cartoon. And it barely had, had any Dick Tracy in it. So. And, yeah, but it also had the, all the Madonna soundtrack. Yeah, and had has, the Disney money as well. So. Yeah, 
and the um, yeah. Joel Silver. Yeah. Well, this had none of that. So it's and that, you know, as I say, it's um, it's it's interesting where you place this movie relative to those other ones that we're talking you know, that you're going to be talking about in terms of the series, because it's. You know, it, it it does. You know, it's not the precursor to some of them, and it, you know, it, it kind of falls in the middle of all the movies that that you're talking about as well, as well, doesn't it, in terms yeah. of the timelines. And and because of that, as I say, I don't know. If, those that came before it had the advantage of going, well, we've got a unique selling point, and those that came after it probably had the ability to look at it and go, well, let's not try to be everything to everyone, which is kind of where the shadow falls. Um, and that, you know, and it, it, so it, they help create that balance. Um, but I certainly saw this in the cinema, and as I say, for for somebody who keeps doing it down, I've got a lot of the toys. I've got the trading card set. I've got the DVD. I've got the, you know, all the the bits and pieces that come with it, and the the, the novelization and all. That. It's all on the shelf. Um, but part of that is just because I'm I'm you know there's I'm not a lot of shadow com- merch is there. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm a classic comic person who goes, oh, there's more. I'm a completist. Yeah. <laughs> Let me. Try got to get them all um and you know and it, so it has that advantage of just being yeah as you see and it's not like i'm trying to buy every batman toy so yeah <laughs> it's um but, yeah like i said i've got a shadow figure somewhere up in the loft but i bought that off ebay a long time after the fact i'm sort of at that age where toys even as a mm. actually no that's a lie because i still had all my um superpowers toys and I was occasionally buying the old Batman figure, but I rarely went into Toys R Us. <laughs> well, see, I went through. For me, it was the Batman animated toys, and yeah. I bought loads of them. And then, uh, say, so the, the, these kind of were were part of buying some of that as well. I don't have all the vehicles from from the Shadow set. Some no, I would have quite liked the um, the Dick Tracy police car and the Shadow taxi. That does it turn yeah. into a coupe? Um, yeah. Those were the two that I really wanted, just because I love that 30s style of vehicle. Exactly. Say with the, like Roger Ebert said, with the running board and yeah. Um, no, the, yeah, the, the 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 shadow taxi is definitely the one that I would would love to get as well at some point. Though I'm saying I'd love to get it. It literally would go straight onto the loft once it arrived, which is <laughs> kind of a, a sad state of affairs. But um, sure. But every so often you get to go and sort the loft out and find some gold. So. <laughs> This is very true. This is very true. Um, it's a bit like being at a Comic Con in your loft, but you don't have to spend any money. Um, yeah, it's been one of the advantages of doing some of the Never Are Anything podcasts where I've gone into the loft to say, oh, I'm sure I've got the poster for that comic somewhere <laughs> from, from, from 1982 or whatever. Um, or looking up the old direct currents. Yeah, I don't have many of the, the movie posters like, like you do. That's, that's a different one. Uh, different, different field from me. Yeah, like I say, I'm not. 100% sure I am master of movie posters. I just, I think I used to pick up any that they had in the bin at the front of the video shop and any that they had yeah. in the cinema. And then, like I say, when I worked at Tesco's, any promotional posters I'd just take either so I could draw on the back of them. Because huh. it was a cheap way of getting big sheets of paper. So I always had the the dream, it'll never happen now, um, of I, there was a, part, um, a pub I used to go to that had basically. All across the ceiling and up and down the walls, all the band posters or the, the posters for bands that I played there or or whatever, and I just kept layering them on, one on top yeah. of the other one, you know. So it was all higgledy piggledy and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I always had this thought of going, yeah, I've got enough 
comic promotional posters and get other bits and pieces and actually just just create that as a patchwork over a wall some or over a room somewhere but um i don't think i'd be allowed um <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, I, I, i'm not sure it'd go down well comes home from work it's like look what i've done to the living room wall <laughs> she's like just, all i needed was paper paste yes way <laughs> i made a feature wall you always wanted one yeah, uh, so. and, and yeah, it is, uh, don't worry. If there's more posters to come, I can keep putting more on top. Uh, <laughs> in the kitchen next. <laughs> well, oh dear! Uh, is there anything else we could talk about with with for the movie then? What's uh, not not really so much the movie. I think we sort of done it. Like I say, it's one of those films that it's strange. There's not a lot of inf- information out there that's a hundred percent reliable because mm. I don't think it has the retroactive fan base, although there are fans of it retroactively and at the time, I don't think it has the same like that the Rocketeer has or Dick Tracy or even the Phantom. And it seems to be it seems to be one that's largely it's known within a certain group, but it's largely overlooked when people talk about them. Yeah. And I say I think part of that is that there's other for the character there's other materials yeah. that people prefer better and that people would say, oh, if you want to learn about that. If, if somebody said to me, oh, I want to, where do I start with learning about the shadow? I wouldn't send them to the movie as their, their first port of call. If they wanted to learn about the Rocketeer, despite the fact that some really good comics are there, I'd probably send them to the movie as their first port of call. Um, and, you know, and I think that that's part of the, part of the issue with it, that those people that will stand up and, shout about the character are not going to shout about the movie they're going to yeah. shout about other things and that's where I think it properly falls down in that it doesn't have you know or because there is a following of the character that swamps out any noise about any following of the movie and, and people just get dragged over to, um, to you know to the character instead and, and the other points that get, gets pushed to do you think it would have benefited from a sequel? Because it very much feels like it's setting up a world, almost to oh, the, the detriment of being its own movie to a certain degree. I just wonder, some films kind of, they're all right, but then a sequel comes along and you can go and look at it in a... Mm. Or, or it's a bit like a Bond actor. If they only do one or two, they're largely yeah. the footnotes, whereas once you get to three sort of become an established thing i just wonder if it's if it had become a franchise whether it would have had legs whether it would have built on things improved so i I truly believe that there is scope for there to be a series of 90 minute shadow movies right um, that are in the vein of, uh, I, I always kind of wish that, um, Azarello and Rizzo, the way that they did 100 Bullets, had done The Shadow. Because I think there's loads in, you know, that the, you could have that sort of, here's the short stories that, that, that go with it. And I think that you could do that quite easily with The Shadow because you could in, you could swap in and out who the, um, the agents were to make the stories quite different all the time. And I think, you know, with this one, yes, you could, you know, it could do a, a second movie. You would ditch 
you'd have to keep Margolene in it because you've built her up as a love interest, which is, you know, again, yes, you can, you know, there, there's bits of that there in some of the books, but in reality, she's, the, you know, she's supposed to be the, the eye candy to put people off rather than her actually be the love interest of the show. Yeah. Um, the, but you would have ditched people like the, what was it, um, Cernovich character, the, the taxi driver. You would ditch the other agent that they came up with who was the sort of throwaway thing. And you'd bring in certain other agents to say, right, we're going to create a new story around you that's, that's looking more at, um, the mob down the docks type thing. You know, do it just around that. And, and again, that's where I think, you know, they almost tried to shoehorn too much into the first movie. And you know, if they paired it back a little bit, and actually had a simpler storyline, then making a sequel would have been really, you know, would have been easier in some ways because you would have open, left more open doors to, to allow you to do some of those things. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I say I don't mind Baldwin as a as an actor in it. I think you know, I would. I say there's things I would lose, like prosthetics, but you know the him actually as the, as the main character. No problem at all with that. Um, certainly better than George Clooney as Batman. Um, yeah. You know, so that would have. I don't know what they would have done next. That, that's probably the, the big issue with it. You know, because they've almost closed. You know, they, they they leave it open to say, oh, "Here's a here's a world," but you're left going, "But what story are you going to tell me that you've not half touched on already?" Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. We sort of talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but I think they're trying to. I think this whole thing with the James Patterson books is meant to be trying to raise the IP with a view to bringing it back as a film franchise at some point. Um, yeah. Whether that's successful or not, I get why you choose James Patterson because you know if you want a book you're going to pick up to read on holiday, James Patterson's pretty much your go-to guy. Yeah. They're short, punchy chapters, and you can read it by the beach or at the airport or whatever. But whether I'm, I've not read the book, I can only go on the little pieces I know, but I think it steps too far away from what the shadow was. It, I don't even it, think it, if people went back and looked at the shadow in comics or was like, oh, I read that James Patterson book. There's a movie. I'll watch that. It's a completely different beast. Yeah. So the, the James Patterson piece, I actually don't, or the fact that it's James Patterson, I don't mind at all because you're right as, as a sort of holiday book or whatever the you know the shadow is a pulp character the whole yeah. purpose of the pulp books are to be throw away yeah they're not meant to be kept and as pristine you know or things on the shelf don't they so th- that that sort of concept of going in out bang you know easy reads you know you can guess what happens if you miss a chapter yeah. <laughs> all those sorts of things like, yay and that, you know and that that is kind of what Paris and you know you, there, there's nothing in there where you go, you're going oh this is a this is a thinker. I um, know oh, I've so, read multiple Alex Cross books. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember very little about them. Or tell you which one is which. It's only because two of them were made into films that I know the plots of those ones. Yeah, and, and that's where you know. So the, I, I've got no issue with with it being perhaps the. And in, in terms of the book that he's that, that's that's come out, um, what's it with Brian Stills as the yeah. Brian Stills is the writer. It's just you know, Patterson's done the one page synopsis, I presume. Um, the, the 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 issue that I kind of have with it is that it's it starts in the 1930s. Then essentially, there's 
cryogenics involved and the shadow was frozen for a hundred years. Um, and it's his, I can't remember if it's his granddaughter or great granddaughter, finds the body and dethaws <laughs> it out and off they go crime fighting together type thing. And you're like, no, you didn't need to do that. You could have set the whole thing in the 1930s and I'd have been quite happy. And in fact, I'd be happier. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it, so the, the first couple of chapters are actually really quite good shadow chapters. Then the rest of the book is an okay book. It's just not a shadow book <laughs> at that point. You know, and you're like, really? Um, and that, I think that's my issue with, with that as, as, as that particular book. But in terms of what that means of what next, in terms of the potential for, you know, future shadow movies or Netflix series or, or however it would, would land, it, clearly they've, they've decided to, yeah, let, let's, let's pull the, the character back in house. This is the part of the problem with the shadow has as well. It's owned by Conti Nasty, the, um, the publishing company, um, through, um, Smith and Street, which is their, their pulp arm, if you like. And that gets farmed out to different people at different points in time. So that's why, even from the comics perspective, it's been everything from DC to Dark Horse, Marvel to the book, um, and, and Dynamite was most, Dynamite most recently, but they, they've lost the rights to it as well. When it all got, so it all got pulled back in, um, as I say, the, um, Anthony Tolan was doing the reprints of the original props, um, through, through Sanctum books. And, he had to rush the final prints. <laughs> he was doing two stories. Well, it was like all the books were coming out. It's two two stories in one book every month or so. Um, and then for the final two books, he had to do four stories in a book because otherwise he had a time limit after which he wasn't allowed to publish anymore. <laughs> so I was like, shoot on them in. And it does mean there's there's a, a, a small number of the books have not been reprinted, but they're not Walter B. Gibson books. They're actually ones that were written by other people. Um so there, you know, you kind of go, hmm. or people are kind of, I'd like to have them, but okay, we understand why you made the choices you made. Um, but yeah, so they they clearly pulled it all in house. They're saying, look, we'll go to Patterson. There's a to put a badge around it. It gives us a new way of selling it again, and whether it's the Patterson movies that get made, don't know. It'll probably just depend on how well that book's sold. Yeah, it seems like quite a. I don't know, it weirdly seems aimed at a YA audience, which I suppose makes sense. You want to, that's where the money is these days, but, or is it, or is it people like us who still spend money on things? <laughs> yeah. But, and this is where the you know, things that they upset the, the shadow community with the cover that they've put on that book is so generic. Oh, it's your generic James Patterson cover, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's so disappointing, you know, and that's where, as I say, if you look at some of those books that came out in the 1970s with Jim Steranko covers, or if you go all the way back to the 1940s and look at the actual original pulp, the covers that, that, that came out then um, with by Powell and various others, which are, you know, proper works of art in, you know, <laughs> in their own right. Um, this is just, uh, oh, looks a man in a trench coat in that sort of brown sepia fog yeah, standing under, standing it's, under it's a, a supermarket a, a cover, isn't it? It's a... yeah, but I think it looks the same as every other book in the supermarket. Yeah, but so we'll see where, what what comes next with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I said, I've not heard much buzz about it other than a couple of online reviews and that. And I did pick it up in the end, despite saying I wasn't going to bother. 
because again, I was in the supermarket. It was a fiver, and I thought, yeah, <laughs> might as well. As, as the completest collector, I should really tell you, you know, there's a hardcover version as well. <laughs> wow. But, but that, it's only, only suckers that would buy that. <laughs> well, unless it's got a better cover. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it doesn't. But you know, if you've got a, if, if you've got a completest look with regard to collecting shadow books. <laughs> I suppose it shows how little they consider the comic books because it would be the ideal book to have that generic cover for the wider release and have yep. a specific pulpy cover aimed at selling in like, collectors' places and comic shops, that sort of thing. Well, not only that, with, with all due respect to um, the, the comic creating community out there, the, you know, it wouldn't, it's not exactly going to be an expensive set of artwork for them to get because no. there's... You know, I presume that Dynamite probably still has three or four covers that were never used, you know, and therefore would have had things on the shelf that they could have gone, by the way, here's this. I mean, Alex Ross did loads of stuff for that. He, he did loads of shadow covers. And Alex Ross painted cover for, you know, for a Patterson book. It, it would already exist. It's not like they'd be commissioning it new. So, yeah. Um, they, they, they had options there in, in terms of making it stand out. But that's that's book marketing for you, and yeah. it's not just it's not just them that are bad at that. It's 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 there's a lot of people. Well, yeah, it's uh, you've just got to look at movie posters, and <laughs> yeah. Though I do love the um, the change that people have made to the the June poster to make it Terry and June. Yeah, which that's is... superb. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's just for, maybe that's just for people of our generation that uh, <laughs> that probably find that. Who, you know, remember Probably June largely the, first the time. generation that's going to go and watch the June movie, unfortunately. Well, we're the ones that watched June the first time around, isn't yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be the interesting take on it. On a side um, note with June, I'm really torn because I want to watch it, but I've got a horrible feeling that they're not going to make the next part. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I know you left with that feeling I had at the end of John Carter of Mars. I quite enjoyed that. I'd quite like to see more, but I'm not going to get any. So. <laughs> I'm with you there. I, I thought John Carter was a book, was as a movie. It was, kind of suffered a little bit, like The Shadow did, in that it came first technically, but then it, everything else came to screen beforehand. Yeah. A bit more with John Carter. They were still doing their own thing, whereas I think like you're right with The Shadow movie. They're like, we'll do that bit from that James Bond film. We'll do that mm. bit from Batman. Um, yeah, John Carter just sort of suffered from. I saw that in Star Wars. I saw that in also, Valerian as well. Sort of had the same problem. Mm. But, um, but yeah, perfectly enjoyable movies that I never get any more of. So I'll never know if John Carter gets back to Mars. <laughs> That's spoilers for John Carter as well. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty it's sure it's if you're going to watch John Carter, you'd have watched it by now. <laughs> what well, one could only hope, surely. Yes. <laughs> But right, um, yeah, no, I think we've sort of covered the shadow as much as it can be covered. Um, yeah, um, okay. the Jerry Goldsmith score I really like. Like you say, it's that generic Batman movie soundtrack, but it, it is I a think, lovely yeah. score. Yeah, when because because I, I I generally play my music on shuffle um, from my tunes or whatever. And when it comes on, or when bits of that come on, I I, I, I see I just can't tell the difference between it and and the Batman tracks, um from the from the soundtracks, um but it it's good, um from from that and it's it, it's stirring and, and gets things going. Yeah, it's, uh, when we did the first troops, I did a playlist of like all superhero comic book movie themes 
and TV things like that and played them. And because Danny Elfman was such an influence, a lot of the feedback we got was, why'd you keep playing the same piece of music over and over again? <laughs> so I assure you, it's a different piece of music. <laughs> it's just all oh. got that Batman score kind of feel to it. It's like the Dick Tracy score. I couldn't tell you whether it's Dick Tracy or uh, Batman some of the time. Properly think about it. But, but again, that was Warren Beatty bought in. Yeah. Danny Elfman purely to do that Batman sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, you're talking about soundtracks at, at Comic Cons. That, there's, there's two cons that have been at where it's. I remember one of the MCMs that I was at where you're tabling and you're. We weren't that far away from the plastic throne, the the Game of Thrones <laughs> plastic throne, rather than, than just the That's throne. a rarity at a con, a Game of Thrones yeah. throne. But obviously the theme tune would kick in every three or four minutes. And what you spotted after a while was that all the small press creators are in Artist Alley would start to sway from side to side <laughs> in perfect timing to, to the Game of Thrones theme tune to the extent that you're going, the, you know, it was... One of us, one of us. But, <laughs> but you know, next time you hear the game of Thrones, you go, yeah. If I was just swaying from side to side, there's a you know metronomic feel to it. As it goes. Um, and then at the Edinburgh Comic Con, they used to end up with the table stuck on going around, and um, and the number of times they played, uh, oh, I forget the name of the trip. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's that, that's a Mori. That's the name. Of the yeah. Um, that kept coming on, and of course. <laughs> There comes a point when it's about the fourth or fifth time during the day, everybody just goes, right, let's just go for it. And everyone was just joining in. And you go, this is weird. So much so that the following year, it was kind of like, oh, you have to play it, by the way, because we all <laughs> Sunday afternoon, we all want to sing along on day two for, for that summary. So it but, has become uh, your unofficial anthem. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but, but no, cheers, like I say. Uh, sorry I put you through the shadow again, I know. <laughs> it, it, it was not as it was not as much of a hardship as I was making out. But as a, I, I will not be rushing to say, oh, I must watch it again in six months' time. No, well, I'll, um, I, sh- I promise next time, everyone, you can pick a film you like. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about that instead. <laughs> you sent Margot Lane to kill me. Kill you? If I wanted you dead, Yinko, I would have your liver on the pole by now. I sent a girl to be killed. Tell me, how did you kill her? She's alive. And she's a danger to you. She now knows exactly who you are. How long will you let her live? How long before your pure instincts take over? I'm on to your plan, Khan. You still don't have the beryllium sphere, and without it, you can't complete the bomb. Besides, you know I'm gonna stop you. You American are so arrogant. You think your meaningless, decadent country is the new cradle of civilization. But let me tell you hey, something. That's the U.S. of A you're talking about, pal. I am talking about ruling the world. I'd like to give you a name. Leonard Levinsky. Brilliant psychiatrist. You'll you talk here. You are boring me! Oh, that knife. Recognize it? I took it from the toku. No, 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 I correct myself. I took it out of the toku after I ran it through his heart. When will you learn to listen to your instincts? Instincts? I'll show you my instincts. 
Never did master the purpa, did you? Still expected to respond to brute force. My Mongol warrior aren't terribly bright, but they are loyal. Except the truth. There is no light without shadow, and you and I are that shadow. I would sooner destroy a Rembrandt than kill you. For the last time, will you join me? You cannot fool me. You cannot defeat me. Your mind is an open book to me. Then learn how to read. So, sort of to finish these, I like to do the Bernard Pivo questions that used to be on Inside the Actors Studio. Um, <laughs> if you fancy answering them, let's go for it. All right. So then, uh, what is your favourite word? You're right. What is my favourite word? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. Yeah, no, I think what is a great word. <laughs> it's, it's, um, <laughs> I did. Yeah, you know, I would quite happily put that out there. Going what? In that. It, it's, it's so um, universal, isn't it? it, it and you can use it in so many different ways. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, and the number of inflections that you put on it is 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 a you know a, a very interesting in, in, interesting set of options that are out there. So um, no, I um I think what is a is a great word to to say that it it, it can be can get you out of out of many a situation. <laughs> All right, uh, what is your least favourite word? I'm going to say moist. Yeah. I don't think that's, there aren't many scenarios where including the word moist is a good thing. Um, so, uh, so now I, I, I think, yeah, you know, if, if, if you've got moist sandwiches, it's, 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 it's not good. If, um, no, so I, yeah, I would say moist is not a great word. It's just a horrible word to say in here as well, isn't it? It's, um, what turns you on? Um, simplicity that isn't simple is the thing I think that is the thing that you know gets me excited about certain creative things and and and, and you know, turns me on with regard to getting involved in 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 art and getting involved in um in in books and comics and things in that there's and it's, it's the same with sport. Where you know, if you like watching somebody play snooker, where you like going, that looks really simple, but it isn't. Yeah. And those, you know, those are sort of things that that I think that that's that that's what turns me on, and that that's kind of why I end up with some of the you know, the creative stuff that I do, where I'm kind of going, I've paired it back to be trying to be looking simple when it when it's not. Yeah. No. I, yeah. One hundred percent get that. It's yeah, well, you and I both know that, that that's what we're trying to achieve with yeah. some of our creativity. Where it's like, by the way, this this looks, but you know, the only and the only way to get there with that, as I say, is that 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 you know, and that, oh, there's so many examples. But as I say, I think there any time I get you know, think things that are over complex, and you're like going, yeah, I'm just just not interested. So that that but that simplicity that that you then appreciate is not simple it really turns me on in terms of of art and things cool uh what turns you off overselling um i think that there's the more something is promoted the less likely i am to go and watch it or go and get involved in it um it, you know, it's like, oh, you really must go see this, uh, really. And, you know, if, if, and I think there's this, uh, maybe been, hands have been burnt too many times for, for certain 
comics and movies and other you know music and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, if it's as soon as it becomes the big thing that everybody's into, and um, yeah, it starts to to turn me off it. Yeah, no, I can I can get with that. Like I say, one of the said before, one of the worst things about working in in HMV was like seeing people start to catch on to the things you'd liked, mm. and because all you hear is catchphrases and stuff from like so when community became big and everybody was, the dvds were slowly sleep, seeping out just gradually you were noticing more and more people in the shop and it was like oh, i hate this now <laughs> <laughs> ruined it thank you uh, and i think it's it, it come you know on that vein it's combined where it's if you're into something and everybody else gets into it but then the the spin-off bit is the bit that becomes bigger than the thing itself yeah. so i think that's why so many comic people dislike Funko Pops. Yeah. Because one Funko Pop, cool. Really good, you know, I like it. <laughs> you know, 50 Funko Pops. <laughs> you know, going, well, that's it. It's when you've got like 18 different variations of Groot or Deadpool yeah. or something. It's kind of, we've gone too far now, I think. Like, this was fun go, to begin with. And when you go, my comic shop only has one wall of comics now and three walls of Funko Pops. <laughs> what happened there? You know, why it should be four walls of comics and then a couple of Funko Pops at the till. <laughs> but, you know, and that, that's the sort of, again, that's that sort of, oh, oversell, oversell, and you go, no, it's not for me anymore, thank you very much, and walk away. So Yeah, I must admit I've got more Funko Pops than I ever intended, partly because they became easy buys for people to get me as like a little something extra. Because mm. they'd be like, oh, Stuart likes Batman, let's get him a Batman Funko or there's a few that I've bought myself. Like, there's, they're never going to release Cheers figures, so I bought the Funko. <laughs> Don't be wrong. If you bring out a Shadow one, I will go and buy it. Definitely. Well, yeah, I'm still waiting yeah. for a Dick Tracy one. I must admit. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, uh, when, they, when they bring the Shadow one out, I might actually go back and try and hunt down the Phantom one and the the, the Rocketeer one, and have the set. But the um, but until they do the Shadow one, I'll I'll, I'll wait. Mm. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Um, yeah, no, they're a nightmare. Um, I can see why people consider them landfill. And they're just so expensive now as well. They used to be a cheap. I get why they're popular with kids, because action figures are so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but if if you want a figure of, like, you know, the Rocketeer or something, it's cheaper to buy a Funko Pop than the £23, if you're lucky, action figure, for example. Yeah. And let's face it, if you're a kid, you don't really need 50 points of articulation. No, you just want something you can smash into the other figure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. But, um, what sound or noise do you love? Recently, it's white noise. This is going to sound weird. Um, I've started going back into the office for the first time in 18 months, two years, whatever it is. And there's nobody, well, there's very, very few people there. And... For, for the last 18 months while at home, when I've not been on conference calls or, or whatever, I, you know, there's generally been music playing. So now that I'm back in the office and you know, you're on a floor that's supposed to have 100 people on it and there's six, it's so quiet. There And there's no noise whatsoever. <laughs> to the extent you're like going, I'd really like just there to be a very light buzz in the background <laughs> just to take the silence away. Um, and so there is a... It's not that not that harsh white noise, but just a, a very light, you know, buzzing computer or something needs to be there to just take the edge off the silence. 
and and that 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 that's all that I would really want to. If it was like you can only have the one sound, that that's probably what I would choose. <laughs> I'll send my eldest child up to work in your office then, because he can't work <laughs> without humming. But it makes quite a nice little white noise <laughs> you can just hear coming through the floor from upstairs. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> that's fine then. Yeah, I could, I could love that. It's yeah, like a walking white noise machine. <laughs> He'll be on YouTube when he's older doing those videos. <laughs> what more do you need? Yeah. Exactly. On, on loop. <laughs> well, if he earns the money they do, I'm fine with it. <laughs> so, uh, what yeah. sound or noise do you hate? Well, you, you just talked about your child. O- oddly enough, I would say kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came home the other night there and literally parked the car and there's four kids in the front garden doing nothing wrong whatsoever just having a little bit of fun and I was just like oh. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's um and again it partially from this you know for the period of working from home when you're sitting looking at the window you're going oh you're enjoying yourself or I'm not <laughs> not pleased about this stuff or you know get get off my something they're not even on my lawn but you just want to leave, go in the window and shout get off my lawn type thing. Um, this probably comes from the fact that I don't have kids, and therefore, you know, I've never had the joy of knowing what, what happy laughter means. Um, and but no, just the, um, you know, if I got on a plane or when when I used to get on a plane, yeah, and you go, oh no, there's a child. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, oh no, you're going to make noise, aren't you? I'm just oh, all the wrong points. So no, no, I it's um. I, I, I would quite happily pay extra to get on a plane that I knew was only adults. Sensible adults as well for that matter, but let's you know. Um that yeah, so no kid, kids is in and the just the, the general noise that kids make is um would, would be enough to upset me. No, I can see that. I mean my kids are generally the exception of the rule for me, as they should be. Although I recognise that they're twats at times as well. <laughs> but yeah, other people's kids, no, I've got no time for it at all. Hmm. So we, we went to Disney a few years ago and I was like, this would be great if it wasn't for all these fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's like, you, but you're at Disney. I was like, yeah, I know. And they're ruining it for me. That's entirely why, because I always go, oh, we, we, could, we could go to Disney at some point, but what, what, what time of year do we go where there's no kids? You're like, no, there's it's just no kids. That, that, that. And Even fact, before we, we had kids and we used to go outside of like, school holidays and stuff, there's still always kids there. Well, it's worse than that. It's a case of these kids are too young to go to school, which makes them even worse. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's under fives. They're even worse than. <laughs> but on the plus side, they can't go on Space Mountain and that. So you're plain sailing all the way through on that. One. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but you just got to pick your eyes more carefully. You don't go on It's a Small World. In general, to be fair, that's a. <laughs> um, all right, the big one. What's your favourite curse word? I think as a Scotsman, I have to say fuck. And that's purely because we can put it into any sentence and, and use it as, as punctuation. Um, but I also always think about the, the Billy Connolly statement about the fact that, you know, it, it properly has bite behind it. You never read fuck off, he hinted. Um, you know, so it has to have that, that, that bite behind it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the fact that yeah, if you get a few drinks in me and my mates and you know, we're just talking, it, it will just be there in that sentence and just be used as punctuation. Um, so it, it, it naturally, and 
Maybe we're doing the Scottish nation, don't you? But as I say, it's, it's certainly something I noticed that um, if we're at, at a con or whatever, we will start swearing first. Um, and it will usually be the F word. So, um, so no, it's definitely that, that sort of, that, that fuck is the, I would, I would struggle to live without it. Yeah, no, like you say, it's a wonderful piece of punctuation. It's wonderfully yeah. poetic when used correctly as well. In, uh, as I say there, there are times I will say it, and I've not even, not even know said it. <laughs> so, yeah, no. In the natural flow of things. <laughs> I'm the same, but I usually do it when we're at a school fete or something. The one place I really shouldn't be dropping. <laughs> <laughs> um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Assuming I didn't need to make money from it, <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to run an art gallery. Um, and have the opportunity, yeah, to, to, to have the opportunity to just basically put art on show and then, and I don't necessarily mean my own. Um, <laughs> this is, but, but oh, maybe from every now and again, but you know, the, 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 the ability to say, right, here it is, providing it as an access point for other people to get into to, to art um, and, and make purchases through that. Um, and then actually, Say right, how you know what's the artwork that I want to have up in it and and, and put it out there? That you know it might well be that I would say yeah, let's have a an original comic art month or whatever in in the gallery just because you you never see that anywhere else. Um, so no, I would I would love to do that. I know that it's um, it's very economically sensitive. Um, it doesn't do well in in bad times, um, and you need a lot of seed capital to make it work. So it's it's not likely something that um, that I'll get into in a hurry in, in terms of finding the right space to do so. But no, I would um, yeah, if if money was no option, running an art gallery. It's it's something to look forward to when you get the Netflix money for the Penguin series. That's true. Or they make the Alec Baldwin movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if he wants to voice the Penguin, I, I, I'm I'm not going to stop. So. He did a Thomas the Tank Engine movie, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not Ringo Starr, I'm not interested. That's the thing. No. Yeah. Same thing. Although I had to go and see that at the cinema because I took my sister, who was much younger than me at the time. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I can say I was there. I'd seen it. <laughs> I survived. Is that something you really want to win up to? Though? Because I was there. I was, yeah, fine. You know what? <laughs> I like to drop it into a conversation every once in a while. Is that another Stare one? Stare off vacantly into nothing. Do you have the poster in the loft? It's the... I don't, no. I, uh, I'll have to go on eBay. <laughs> Who knows what secret Santa might bring you? <laughs> oh, God. I'm just going to get poster tubes. <laughs> Hmm. I might must take a note of that for something. Yeah. Um, and that was the day Stuart snapped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On a down note, what profession would you not like to attempt? I have every respect for the nursing community, but I cannot deal with other people's bodily fluids. So I. As I say, I, I would not wish to be a nurse. No. Um, and that, that's, and part of that is my recognition that they do things that I know that I could not do. Um, and all power to them for that. 
Um, but yeah, no, it, it, see, bodily fluids, and maybe this is part of my anti-kids thing as well, but bodily, bodily fluids that are not my own, no thank you. I'll, uh, <laughs> somebody else can clean that up. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not massively keen on my own, to be honest. So. <laughs> no, 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 not really, but, but yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Rather than, than go down that rabbit hole, let's, let's yeah. just leave that as a... Actually, no. But, I think we're vague uh, enough on that. <laughs> I, it's one of those ones where, you're like, if I've made the mess, I'm willing to clean up my own mess. That's, yeah. That seems fair enough, right? But I ain't cleaning up anybody else's. So, so no, I um, I would not wish to be a nurse. But that's, that is that is far from me decrying that as a as a role. Um, as I say, I have all respect for the yeah. No, I, I, I don't think you're alone in that one. So. Um, all right then um, the last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates and initially I was going to say let's get ready to rumble but having used that already, <laughs> ready today as a as a, a, a tagline for, for, for a different thing where I, was, I thought I was going to have to fight a different creator um, <laughs> and maybe I should just say that, that you, know, if God, you know you get to the gates and God goes well who, who's going to publish the penguin tomorrow <laughs> Is it, or or is that, is it, does that mean it's finally over? <laughs> <That would be. laughs> or you can relax now. We found the the ending of the Pentagon. Yeah, hey, that's the way. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> why did you leave it on a cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So let, let, let's narrow that down to just being. Yeah. Don't worry. That means you've finished the Pentagon now. Because uh, <laughs> what I'd look forward to God finally saying to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need somebody dear. to carry on Garfield so <laughs> uh, again if anyone wants to buy the IP for the Pentagon and take it on themselves <laughs> I'm cheap right I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk terms <laughs> but, uh, you can tell yeah. when you're at 2000 strips <laughs> Although I'm at 50 old and I'm still kind of like, yeah, if anybody wants to take this over. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast, con, all of it, lock stock. <laughs> telling you, it's just the first hundred is the difficult. Once you get over that, you're, you'll, you'll find it plain sailing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, cheers for doing that. I really enjoyed it. And um, oh, like I say, good. apologies again for... No, as I say, I'm, I've, I've made more of an, an, an issue out of it being as bad as <laughs> I've made it sound. It really isn't. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's led me to look out one or two of the, I say, the bits of the paraphernalia, which has been, been fun. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't even know there were trading cards. So I, I may end up slipping down a rabbit hole on eBay with that as well. <laughs> So the the trading card set, I know you've turned around this up, but the trading card set has a nice subset at the back that is comic. So there's uh, 70 cards that are pictures from the movie. And then there's like 30 cards that are basically artists from like Kaluta through John Bolton and Gary Gianni and Jeff Darrow, you know, loads of, of different ones. Basically, if, um, if if Dynamite was to do a, a set of cards now, you know, it's all the, all the covers that they would have used. It's just, this is images that were back from, uh, from, from 94. 
So, um, and then probably relate to some of the Dark Horse books that were out and about at the time. Nice. Awesome. Well, I'll get on that before I put this out, and then the prices won't get rammed right up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cheers for that. Oh, um, where can people find you online? Anyone wants to find me online, just search for at Gwyn on any form of social media. That's P-E-N-N-E-D-G-U-I-N, and um, you'll find me that way. Or, actually, at Shadow1972 is my other Twitter handle, if you want to grab me for that. That'll be good. It's a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you later. I'll know. And that was The Shadow. Uh, I'd like to say a huge thank you again to Alan for joining me to talk about the movie. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, If you have some thoughts on The Shadow, uh, the film or the character, or this episode in general, please leave a comment on our socials or the Podbean page or wherever you find this episode. Uh, We'd love to hear from you and we do enjoy reading them. Um, I'll post all the links in the show notes so you can find us by searching The Nerds Who Haunted Themselves on Twitter and Facebook or by visiting hauntednerds.com. there's also an and why not group page on facebook if you fancy joining that and joining in the film discussion there um i'll also post all of alan's links in the show notes along with our own so you should be able to find everything if you just check out the show notes uh thank you again for listening this has been a nerds who haunt themselves production and i've been Stuart moraine join me again next week when i'll be joined by rob o'connor co-host of the all-star superfan podcast to talk dick tracy thanks for listening bye (laughs) 